Hello, this message is from Live Church Leeds. We hope it encourages and helps you. Well, it's great to see you here. Wow, we've got a lot of people in church. Statistics say that people are stopping coming to church. I'm not sure that's true here, which is cool. And uh, here's some cool news, because after this service, like Ab said, we have the baptism class going on, and uh, they've gone into the growth track room, but the reason growth track have had to move is because growth track's too big this month. So they've had to shift into one of the seminar rooms, and uh, these are what you call good problems, okay, good problems. And so if you struggled with parking, we can complain or we can see it as a good problem. And uh, we appreciate this place is getting busier and busier, but we're going to do our best and uh, have a strategy to enable that and be um, diligent with it. But thank you for being here today. And we're going to get straight into the word. And um, I'm aware also that our church is, is growing with all ages. In fact, our biggest growth of age, you might think it's a young church, a student church. Actually, where we're growing, our information would tell us, is in our, I suppose, 40 years plus. Come on. Now, I don't know if that's because as I get older and me and Abs get older, people go, okay, well, they're old now, so we'll come. Not that 40 is old, just saying. But um, sometimes you can come and you can see kids' church happening, it's all wild. Then you can hear about 50, over 50 at youth, which is amazing, and the young people sat on the front, and then we hear about a YA weekend away. And you might be beyond those ages thinking, well, it's, it's a young church. It's not really a church for me. I'll, I'll come to it, but it's, it's, not, it's more of a young church. No, you need to know we are a church, and we are going to commit it to be a church for all ages. Okay? And uh, if we want to do a middle-aged weekend away, who says we can't do that? <laughs> who says we can't do things for all ages? And so please don't see it as it's a youth church. No, we are a church that loves young people 100%. One, because they are the generation that is going to build this church for the next 30, 40 years. No pressure, guys, <laughs> but it's on your shoulders. <laughs> and, uh, but from the youngest to the oldest in here, we want you to feel at home and part of a family. So we're going to get into the word today. Is that all right? And um, we're going to continue from where we were last week. Put your hands up if you were in church last week. Put your hand up if you decided to have a weekend off. Uh, no, don't. Um, we spoke last week a message called, Who Sat at Your Table? And you remember we were sat here, and I was sat here with a bunch of guys who represented the disciples with Jesus, and we had beautiful food on this table. We had bread, and we had Italian meats, and we had olives, and the guys were digging in. And um, what I got feedback this week was many people in the church enjoyed what was left over (laughs) last week, and they've asked if we could do it again. Um, But we spoke last week about the importance of the table, which is a metaphor for your life and who is sat at your table. It was primarily an encouragement to do life with others. Not to go and do life on a table by yourself, but to invite other people to your table and to do life with other people. I spoke from my example how sometimes I prefer to be on a table by myself. I'll happily eat a steak on my own, but that's not necessarily a good thing. What's better is to eat steak with others. Make sure you've got the big fillet and they've got the small sirloin, okay? But you do life with other people is what we were encouraging you to do. And as we launch our life groups and 
getting people connected in that. We, we spoke about Jesus and the 12 and how they were reclining at the table. And the reclining of them was a representation of the freedom that they'd experienced after being set free from from in Egypt, uh, when, the, when, the, when, the, when Israel was set free from Egypt from the rule of Pharaoh and the representation of the freedom that that brought and the four cups. And we spoke about how the four cups that they have at Passover. So you missed, well, last week was good, you missed it. Four cups represented the Passover meal and, the, and what the four cups represented in terms of how God had set them free. And we spoke about the four cups when it comes to the relationships that we have in our world are built on trust and it's built on commitment, and it's built on communication, and it's built on purpose-driven friendships. But we're really emphasizing the value of relationship. And we, we titled it, if you want a title for last week and this week, This Is Us. Okay, This Is Us. And so that's a little bit of a recap, but you can listen to that on SoundCloud if you want. Go to SoundCloud and then type in Live Church Leads and that message will come up. But Acts chapter 15 is where we're going to go today. Acts chapter 15. It's half term week. Kids are off school. (laughs) Praise God for that. Acts 15, verse 36. It says, Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the believers in all of the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John and also called Mark with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. This is the verse I want to really hit home today. Paul and Barnabas had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. Verse 39, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Would you be able to just turn this machine off on the floor here? It's just a quite, I think that's the machine that's creating a bit of noise, which is distracting me slightly. That would be really helpful. Perfect. I want to speak about this thing. Let's call it a thing between Paul and Barnabas. Both, by the way, are two men of God. Okay? Two men of God. And stuff goes on. And what I want to emphasize today and speak just in the time that we have is this. Sometimes people who are sat at your table with you and you are enjoying bread and you are enjoying Italian meats and you are enjoying their company, you do life with them. Sometimes, in all aspects of life, people who are sat at your table sometimes leave your table. They were once there, and then they leave. And I want to talk today, you know, this series is, um, is titled, This Is Us. <laughs> um, but what happens when this is us becomes this was us? Does that make sense? When this is us, quickly, it can become this was us. See, all of us have photos of people who we no longer do life with. Recently, me and Abs looked through our wedding list of people who came to our wedding day and our wedding reception, which cost us a lot of money. (laughs) Most of whom aren't in our world anymore. 
Why? Because that was us then, but this is very different us now. They were at our table, but yet they've left the table. We might have been at the table with them, and we've left their table. Now, it's not always because of some major fallout. Sometimes it's just because of the circumstances of life, and people move on. But all of us have to deal with the most challenging currency of all. It is the currency of relationships. The currency of relationships. How many of you in here have a BFF? BFF, not a big fat friend, a best... <laughs> Some of you think a BFF, big fat friend, no. <laughs> Some of you are like, yeah, I've got a few of them. No, um, calm down. No, don't be, you shouldn't be laughing like that in church, okay. BFF, I think it means best friend forever. Best friend forever. BFFs, okay? And it's like a little phrase which has sort of come around. And and if you've got BFFs, yeah. Am I I anybody's BFF in here? Yes. (laughs) And you're my BFF, Hal. (laughs) In more sense than the words. BFF. No, you're not my (laughs) BFF. When I was 10, I had a BFF. He was sat at my table. We reclined together on the football pitch at the swimming pool, down the co-op, like where we did life. But when you're young, I don't know if you'd agree with this, fallouts happen all the time. Like we've got a five-year-old and and like every day I ask him who's his best friend, it changes. (laughs) Like one day it was me, the next day it's Abs, the next day it's Sonny, the next day it's it's Cristiano Ronaldo. I'm like, you've not met him, he can't be your best friend. He's like, well, he can be. Last week, he asked if Cristiano Ronaldo could be his dad. <laughs> he asked me, he says, he goes, can Cristiano Ronaldo be my dad? And I was like, well, what does that mean? He goes, well, you can just be my mate. <laughs> I was like, actually, that's not a bad idea. If we sign him up to our family, <laughs> economically. Um, <laughs> I'm sure, go ahead, Jay. <laughs> but when you're young, like, fallouts happen all the time. In, in, in fact, he was telling me recently he had a friend. And I was like, is he still your friend? He went, no. Nope. Like, what, why, is he, why is he not your friend? I'm like, you know, has he spread some vicious rumor about him around the school? You know, has he conned him out of thousands of pounds? No, he pushed in front of him in the dinner queue. That's <laughs> what happens, guys. But then adult life happens, and the same thing happens, but it has a deeper impact. Navigating this relationship thing isn't easy. And God calls us to a table with others, and then sometimes it's not hard being on the table that he's called us to. But in fact, we've found relationships hard, and we've found this table life hard since Genesis chapter 3. Right from the beginning, we have found this hard. In fact, in Genesis chapter 3, it is that passage is titled, The Fall. (laughs) It is titled, The Fall. Why? Because it describes the fallout from this perfect relationship between Adam and Eve and God. That is what it's describing, that there has been this fallout, there has been this separation. It was perfect. We were enjoying bread and Italian meats and the wine was flowing and I was, yeah, it's beautiful, this is amazing. And then the fallout happens and there's this separation 
that happens between God and humanity. And Adam and Eve didn't trust God, got manipulated and made a poor choice. And this beautiful God-made table that he established in three chapters into history has already become fractured. Why? Because as human beings, we have this tendency to spit our dummy out when we don't get our own way. We like to control often in life. But relationships aren't to be controlled. Relationships are to be cultivated. Don't control your relationship. Cultivate your relationship. And from Genesis chapter 3 to Revelation chapter 22, which is the last book in the Bible, we find that God established the world order in this institution of relationships. In fact, nothing in life happens without two parties coming together. This church was built physically, spiritually, with parties coming together. Your business works with parties coming together. Businesses happen because there is an exchange between two parties come together. Families happen. Why? Because a husband and a wife get together. There are things that happen when parties connect. God has established this world order in the institution of relationship. But the table does not always remain peaceful. Sometimes the table becomes problematic. And how many of you in here love a peaceful table? How many of you love sitting at home with your family or your friends and it's just peaceful? Music's on. Food is there. It's peaceful. And it's a picture of life, how we desire the peaceful table. And maybe at the moment you have a peaceful table. But so often in life, what I've found is sometimes the peaceful table can quickly become problematic. And it became problematic for Jesus with his 12. And so if it becomes problematic for him, chances are it could become problematic for us. If it became problematic for the Son of God, the the most perfect person to ever walk this earth, who was loving and kind, who was generous and thoughtful, who, who was obedient and was humble, he was like, if you want a BFF, Jesus should be your BFF. And still it became problematic for him. Then why sometimes are we surprised when the table that we do life in sometimes hits some hurdles, sometimes goes through some stumbling times the reason it happens is because we you everybody say me you are a complex being (laughs) you are complex I am complex I am filled with emotions and values and the ways of living and the table can often become separated in life because your table manners are different to mine How you sit at your table is different to how I sit at the table. So we don't have phones at the table, but you have phones at the table. How do we deal with this? We leave when you're not finished. No, every family in here, I'm sure you have your own table manners. You know, where your knife and fork is set. You know, when you finish your meal, you know, do you just chuck your cutlery on the plate or leave them on the side? Or do you nicely put them on your plate? We all have different manners. And because we all have different manners, different ways of living, a lot of this is metaphor, is it making sense? Because we all have different ways of living, the table sometimes becomes problematic. Not because you're bad, and not because I'm bad. 
but because how you do life at your table is different to how I do life at mine. But the reality is all of us here today carry the weight, carry the baggage of a relationship that has ended, that has separated, that has fallen out, that has drifted, that has changed for different reasons. Maybe a separated, not because of a bad thing, but someone's relocated, emigrated to another part of the world and they've gone to take another job in London or whatever. And that relationship that was tight has, has changed. And I would say much of the burdens that we carry in life, much of them, maybe if not all of them, are due to relational fatigue. And likewise, much of the blessings that we carry in life are due to relational fruitfulness. If I asked you, are you blessed? You'd be like, I'm so blessed. You know, I've got a beautiful partner and I love my kids and you know, my parents and this and I'm enjoying my relationships with my people at work and all of that. Actually, what you're speaking about is relational fruitfulness. If I spoke to you and asked you, hey, how's your life at the moment? You're like, well, it's a little bit challenging and I'm dealing with this and I'm dealing with this issue and this situation. Most of those issues or situations are due to relationship challenges. Let's call it relational fatigue. And people will move on and will move out from your world. People will separate from your world. Relationships of 10 years, 20 years, even 30 years can come to an end. Some people in here, you've had friendships for 30 years that have separated or drifted or ended. Some of you might have been married in here for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and that marriage has closed or that marriage has changed. These are the things we deal with as people. And Paul and Barnabas here, like I say, they are two remarkable men. In fact, they are kingdom men. They disagreed on this guy that was called John Mark. They disagreed on him joining them on a kingdom mission. Why? Because the first time he came on it, the Bible says he sort of flaked out a little bit and deserted them. So Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, is always like, let's give him a second chance. Paul, who's like, we're going for this. (laughs) No, we're not bringing him. Well, we need to bring him because if we don't bring him, what might he say? Hey, I'm not bringing him. We're going. I'm either going and it's it's either you two or me on my own. And the Bible says this sharp disagreement took place. And just because you write two-thirds of the New Testament, which Paul did, you can still fall out. Just because you are the son of encouragement, Mr. Nice Guy, you can still fall out. So relational fallouts or relational separation or relational... They're not always indicators of how holy you are or how spiritual you are or how much Bible you've read that week. It's called living life. It's called doing life with people 24-7. But I would say this. In fact, if your relationships never change, maybe you're in trouble. Because it means maybe you're not growing or means maybe you're not moving. Or it means maybe you're not taking ground. And the reason this relationship separated between Paul and Barnabas was because Paul was on mission. And he's like, sure, we can take this guy, but it's going to distract me from the mission. So therefore, I'm choosing not to take him. And as you grow, your relationships occupy different spaces. As you change, what you look for in a relationship changes. 
So when I was 18, 19, a student at Leeds Beckett University, officially the best university in the whole of Leeds. All you Leeds uni goes, yeah, whatever, we're studying, we're studying medicine. What are they doing? Woodwork. Um, see, it's a relation, relational challenge, guys. You've got to be careful with this thing. The relationships that I look for in 2001 are different to the relationships that I look for now. Relationships occupy different spaces in my life. And because I've grown and because I've changed, there are certain relationships that I won't tolerate anymore. You know what I mean? Certain relationships in your world that you haven't got time for anymore. I've not got time for this. I've not got time for that. My my world's moving in a different direction and this person keeps trying to drag me back to an old way of living. No, I, I need to go. And so maybe if your relationships are not changing and they're not growing and maybe they haven't remained static, maybe it is a picture where you have also remained static. And if you want to get some movement, maybe your relationships need to change because when you live a purpose-driven life, it determines how you do relationship. And for some of you in the room today, some people aren't in your world right now. You should be grateful for that. Some of you might be, I'm sad about it, but maybe you should be grateful for it. Some of you girls had boyfriends in here and you're sad that they're not in your world. But maybe you should be grateful for it. <laughs> because until they go, new people can't arrive. Until they go, new people can't arrive. And have you ever been to, a, I don't know, a, a pub <laughs> or a club? Christian club. Which, by the way, when I was 16, I set up a Christian nightclub. I did, 100%. It was called The Alternative. And we hired a basement in a church hall in Leicester, and we packed it out with teenagers who, didn't, who wanted to go clubbing. Either the parents didn't allow them, or they were too young, or it was the wrong environment. And so it was an alcohol-free place, smoke-free. We played good music. Then at the end, we did a gospel talk. It was amazing. It was called The Alternative. It was a Christian nightclub. That was 16 to 19. My parents thought I was crazy, but it was good. But sometimes, like, you have this thing. I was at Nando's last night. God led me to Nando's. And um, <laughs> we're having fun today. And we got there, and they're like, you can come in. It's one in, one out. You know what I mean by that? Like, you, we, you can't come in until somebody leaves. Why? Because there's no space. Sometimes our relationships are like that. I need someone to leave before someone can come in. Maybe you're at that place in your life because there are people queuing to enter your world. But at present, your world is too full. Maybe you need to declutter some relationships. Maybe you need to go through Instagram and cull some people. Okay, so what happens? This is making sense. We need to finish in, a few, in about 10 minutes. But what happens then when this table dynamic changes? What do we do? Because this table changes like constantly. And sometimes it's a period of peacefulness, but there's change on this table. 
I encourage you to do one of these three things. And I'm sure there's more than three things, but these are the three things I think that have helped me. And maybe they'll help you, but I'm not defining it as these are the only three things, but it just helps you maybe remember and, pr- and put some application into what I'm saying today. The first thing I think you need to do when some relationships in your world change and some people leave the table is, is, is you need to release it. Number one, release it. Everybody say release it. Release that relationship. Just let it go. And I'm not going to sing the song. Just let it go. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 13 that there was Abraham and Lot, who were family, by the way. And this is sometimes even harder when it's family. And Abraham says, well, one of us will go left and the other one will go right. What basically Abraham is saying, it's a nice way of saying, I don't want to live with you anymore. (laughs) And I don't want to do life with you anymore. And I don't even want to do life in close proximity with you anymore. I know your family, but I'm going left. You go right. And what Abraham is basically saying is we need to release this relationship, not just because for the good of me, but actually for the good of both of us. Because some of you are chasing relationships that just need to be released. You are not in charge of that person. You are only in charge of you. And they still have a hold on you. Not because they are holding you, but because you haven't released the relationship. And where they are going, you cannot go. And where you are going, they cannot go. And it's not right for you to follow them there. And so some relationships you simply have to release. Now some of these relationships might be good. Might be good. What I mean by that, in some sense, there's no fallout, there's no like... There's no anger, there's no bitterness, it's just, I just need to release it. Because it's not what it was and it's not what it necessarily needs to be. And they now live there and we're trying to make this thing work. We drive there every week, why? Because we feel we need to drive, because that's what we've always, maybe it just needs to be released. Because sometimes these relationships are good, but maybe they are bad. Release it. Now I'm not, hear me right when I say, I'm not talking about, for those of you that have had, certain aspects of your life relationally where you might have been abused or you might have undergone severe anxiety or stress. There's no point, you don't need a preacher or a pastor standing on a platform on a Sunday morning going, release it. Because <laughs> how many of you know it's, it's a more of a process than that? Requires more of a process than just releasing it. And we encourage you to get the help that you need or the counseling that you need or the process that you need to get to a point where you can release it. But some of you are probably in the room where you can release a relationship. I'm talking about relationships and friendships that have just run its course. It's okay, but they just they've just they've served their time, they've ran their course and maybe there's intimate relationships here that you've had in the past that are preventing you from entering into new relationships because there's still a hold on you. There's an emotional hold on you. There's an intimate hold on you. And some of it can be manipulation. And some of it can be control. A whole heap of things. But can I encourage you to release it? Here's a tip for you. Unfollow. (laughs) Delete. Change number. Sometimes you have to go to extreme measures. 
Because what you realize, and it keeps dragging you back to a place that you don't want to go to anymore. Sure, you had your Italian meats and your bread and your olives and you loved life at one point, but life has changed. And you're not 19 single anymore. You're like, you changed. And so your relationships need to change with you. Number one, you release it. Number two, an option is what I call to reconcile it. To reconcile it. Some relationships just need a reconcile. What reconcile means is to find a way in which two people can agree and exist together. Okay? Where two people can agree and exist together. So what we're saying by reconcile is sure there's been a bit of a fracture, there's been a separation, there's been a moving of the table, but it's never really been communicated about. It's never really been actioned. It's sort of just been left. But there's something inside your heart this morning that says, I, I'm not, I don't want to just release it. I don't want to just let it go. Maybe I'm not looking for it to be like fully what it was, but there needs to be some form of reconciliation. You don't need to become BFFs again, but maybe it's a conversation on forgiveness. Maybe it's just an honest chat. Maybe it's just a text conversation. Maybe it just requires something. Maybe it's some gossip Years ago, that was just left, opened, and became toxic. And you can still smell the toxins from what was opened. And it just needs to be reconciled. Be big enough, be brave enough to consider reconciliation because you have to, some of you in here have too many loose ends that just need closing. Too many loose ends that are frayed, that just need closing, that just need ending, that just need reconciling. You know, the Bible says Paul and Barnabas, they reconciled their relationship. Now, some scholars will disagree and say, well, they never did anything together. True. The Bible never reports them ever doing ministry together, which I think is a shame. But what they did do in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 6 tells us that Paul spoke well of Barnabas and Paul supported his work and commended his work. So Paul is saying to the church in Corinth, hey, also remember Barnabas, you need to bless him how you've blessed me. Why? Clearly there's been some form of reconciliation despite their sharp agreement and disagreement and their parting of ways there was this reconciliation. In fact, there was also reconciliation between Paul and John Mark also in Colossians chapter 4 and 2 Timothy 4 verse 11. The Bible says that Paul said, hey, I like that John Mark. <laughs> in fact, in Timothy, it basically says, hey, could, he, could you bring him along? Ain't that amazing? It's almost like Paul's gone, hmm, maybe I made a bad error there. Maybe I judged him a little bit too early. He's actually useful for me, the Bible says. Could you bring him along? Wasn't ready yet to release him, but was in a place to reconcile the relationship. Things aren't the same as they were, but they don't need to remain sharp and fractured. And too many people in the kingdom, I think it's sad, live unreconciled lives. Too many people, too many pastors, too many leaders live unreconciled lives. You don't necessarily need to become best friends again. Maybe some of them have been released on purpose, but I think so many like Paul, can we have that spirit of reconciliation? So number one, you release it. Number two, you can reconcile it. 
And number three, finally, restore it. You can restore it. Some relationships are crying out for restoration. There is just this God connect. You know it. They know it. You're crying out for restoration. You need to pray over restoration between your relationship with your kids. Because some of you parents in here have fractured relationships with your kids and you don't want to just release it. And neither do you just want to reconcile it. You want to fully restore it. Like the prodigal son who goes back home and embraces his father. The father wasn't at a place to release him. How do I know that? Because the Bible says he saw him from a long way off. The father was looking for him from a long way off. Even when he was far away, the father's still going, I wonder where he is. I wonder where he is. Servants might have come in. Even the brother might have come and said, you just need to release him, man. He's gone. He's he's, he's gone. He's squandered his inheritance. He's doing what he wants to do. And there's something in the father that goes, no, where is he? Where is he? Where is he? The Bible says the prodigal returns home and the father embraces him, gives him the ring, gives him the cloak, cooks a calf and has a party. Why? Because my son was lost, but now he's been found. And there's a restoration to this relationship. Pray for it. Work for it. You don't necessarily need to strive for it, but you need to believe God for restoration. And you might be ready to restore like Jesus was when he came off the cross and out of the grave and found himself on a beachside with his disciples and finds Simon Peter who has denied him three times. Jesus could have released that there. Could have reconciled it, but Jesus takes one step further. and says, do you love me, Peter? You know I love you. Do you love me again? You know I love you. Third time, do you love me? You know I love you. What Jesus is trying to reinstate is this restorative relationship between Jesus and his friend, his disciple. And Jesus was ready for it, but Peter was a little bit more reluctant. He's not so ready. I I feel guilty. I, I feel shame. Jesus, I don't feel I can just come back into the crew. I don't feel like I can just, you know, I just can't, I I can't do that. Because he had all the emotion of what he went through due to the separation. And yet Jesus, despite the shame, spends time to restore a relationship he knew they both needed and he knew they both wanted. You've got to want it. You've got to want it if you want to restore it. Jesus couldn't just release Peter. He couldn't just reconcile. He wanted the relationship back to what it was. In fact, better than what it was. Why? For purpose. Because on this rock, I will build my church. And there'll be a church in Leeds in 2018 that gathers on Kirkstall Road, which is relying upon this relationship being restored. So let's put away some of our ways. Let's forgive each other and and let's hopefully restore so that we can move on for a greater good. Because we are called according to purpose. In the same way, Jesus comes to earth. We heard it in John 3.16 today. Comes to earth to restore the relationship between me and you and the Father. It wasn't just a release of humanity. Neither was it just a reconciled of humanity. It was a full restoration of relationship of what was established in Eden. And even better than that. You restore the relationship that has a future. And I encourage you to restore relationships in here, church, that have a future. We desire so much at Life Church Leads as the band comes and closes with me and worships out. 
We desire so much in this church to build a relationally rich church that is just rich. We are going to have our fallouts. We are going to have our disconnects. We are going to have our separations, but relationally rich. And for those of you that have been broken and tarnished and just damaged because of people, can I encourage you today, don't back off from people, but lean in towards people. Jesus is betrayed. He's denied. He's rejected. And yet he doesn't allow the fractures to keep him broken. Come on, let's forgive where we need to forgive. Let's encourage where we need to encourage. Let's love where we need to love. Let's build with people we need to and want to build with. Let's be honest with people we need to be honest with. Why? Because the table is still there, guys. The table is still there and there's not one cup, there's two cups. And so let's use the table. But there's also space on this table. This table is useless for me. Why? Because there's space for us on it. And your life is a table. Therefore, use it and fill it and enjoy it for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet this morning.